Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Three guys, three decades, three perspectives. Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Morgan Coffee Co. is a small batch coffee company out of Point Pleasant, New Jersey. They feature unique blends inspired by the Jersey Shore, and every month they feature a new single-origin coffee from around the world and their new Flavor of the Month Club. Bean Morgan Coffee Co. is giving our listeners 10% off all coffee and their recently released K-Cups. Visit Bean Morgan Coffee Co. and enter Cousins10 at checkout. Bean Morgan Coffee Co., the roast from the coast. Welcome to another episode of the Me and My Cousins podcast. On this one, I am flying solo. Uh, just Angelo Gingerelli here with you. No Mike Casal, no Kenny Nicosia. It's kind of like an episode of Batman the Animated Series without Robin or Batgirl. It's just a Batman solo episode, uh, which I think is fitting because we're going to talk about Batman a lot on this episode. One of my best friends, you heard him uh, back in November of 2020 on the original fifth round episode. And we're going to break down Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy, and uh, it was about the movie, the character, and kind of like what we did that weekend at the Dark Knight drop back in the summer of 2008, because obviously it's one of the best movies ever made. I think even if you're not really a superhero person, you kind of agree with that. But just uh, we had a pretty pretty wild weekend around that that trip to the IMAX at the Explorers Theater in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. So we're going to talk all about that. Uh, but before we get into that, let's, uh, let's introduce Metter Martin. Metter, what's going on, man? Jello, thank you so much for having me back. I'm I'm so excited about this uh, podcast. Uh, I think we should just jump right into it. I do real quick. But let's let everybody know. This was your idea. This is I obviously love this movie. I know you love this movie. We had a great weekend. Got to see it together, even though we weren't really living that close to each other at the time. But this was kind of your idea as a follow up to fifth round. And I think I think that's kind of fitting that the follow up to like one of the best weekends we've ever had in our minds is seeing one of the greatest movies ever made. So that's the level that Fifth Round was. And I didn't want to see that's the level that The Dark Knight was for us as well. So that being said, I got a couple of questions and let's kind of, kind of go from there. Where does, I know we're both huge Batman fans. Where does Batman enter your life? I, I believe, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm, I think I was four years old and I started watching the Adam West Batman. And, you know, to me, it was brand new, but the show had actually been, I think, it been over for 10 or 12 years. So it was obviously reruns. It only, that show only ran for two years, but there was over 100 episodes. Yeah, and honestly, that, that's my starting point, too, was I, it was on during the day when I was at school, when I was a kid in New Jersey, right? So in the summers or like on spring break or Christmas break, I'd be able to watch it. And I loved it. Like, I love being able to watch it. And for anybody young listening, like this is pre-streaming. It wasn't available on VHS tapes or no DVDs yet. So it was like, if you weren't, if I didn't go to school, I was looking forward to watching Batman. You know what I mean? Um, and then after that, I got into the Super Friends series. And weirdly enough, I ended up buying both of those on DVD later on, right? And what I will say about both those things, the Adam West series holds up. 50 years later, it's still funny and so ridiculous, it's funny. And the Super Friends stuff really doesn't. It really, it wasn't nearly as good as I remember when I was a kid. And then the thing that got me back into it as a not a, at all an adult, probably about a twelve year old, was Batman '89. That was one of my greatest movie going experiences ever. And my whole family went. I remember the night we went to see it, and I was I was jacked, and I became a Batman guy ever since uh, that night in the summer of '89. The the uh, the Michael Keaton. So that so that movie experience. That was the first time because I think by then I was twelve, and it was one of it was one of the first times like my like my dad trusted me to drop me off with a friend at a theater. You know, we didn't have the only hype we saw about that movie was pretty much like if you were in a comic book store and they had a pre-release poster, or you saw one of the old magazines that talked about superheroes, and you got to see uh, Keaton in the cape and the cow. So like talk about beyond pumped up it was also i believe it was the first time i ever saw him in the black suit yeah like it, was, it was it was like batman before that was in tight like adam west and this is right. like, like body armor which is kind of i guess the the precursor to what he wore in the christopher nolan movies which is actually just just body armor for lack of a better term 
Um, but I always use that Batman 89 movie going experience in my mind. And whenever I'm on a podcast or talking about like the way our generation is different, because my parents like reluctantly dragged themselves to see Batman with me. Right. But they, they were cool people, but they were adults when I was a kid. And like now I have a five-year-old daughter. And I like I couldn't wait to watch Wonder Woman eighty four with her, right, or Justice League, whatever is out now. And then it's such a it's a weird thing of the way we I guess the movies have become a little more mature, and we're part of a generation that we're we're in our forties and still like weirdly enough looking forward to superhero movies or you know comic books or whatever, wearing a t shirt with a flash on it, which is something my mom and dad were just not doing when they were my age. That yeah it. The did you know like I can't remember what year it was even Underoos came back, like yeah. I was a big I was a big Underoos guy. So the way I would dress up as Batman when I was a little kid was you had like your sweatpants and I'd put the Underoos underwear over the sweatpants. And then I'd use my socks as like boots. And I think even when I graduated high school in '94, they found a picture of me at five years old, you know, talking on the phone with the. I had a towel as a cape. I had like I had I think I had, and I had the Batman shirt and I had the underoos over the sweatpants. But like that, I pretty much stayed in costume from five to ten years old, I believe. Yeah, that's another thing that's changed so much is that back in the day, underoos was the best superhero costume you could get. That was the best thing they sold, right? Maybe on Halloween, you get one of those plastic suits with a plastic mask that you put on a rubber band around and dug into your eyeballs. But like if you look at Instagram now, some of the adult cosplay stuff is amazing. Like there's 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 women out there that look exactly like the Margot Robbie Harley Quinn, and there's dudes out there that look exactly like Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern, which is just something that you just couldn't do in the '70s, '80s, even to the 2000s, probably. Yeah, that's there. I've seen some incredible cosplay stuff. Some people are are just genius, and you know they're making these outfits at home, or you see like. Uh, Poison Ivy, the Catwoman stuff, the, the Harley Quinn stuff. Like, it's it's next level. It's, it's fun to watch people become bigger fans because of it. Yeah, man. So let, let's skip ahead. We both obviously watched Adam West. We both, I'm assuming, saw some of the cartoons in the 80s, which I, I don't think were that good in retrospect. Then you get to the, the Tim Burton movies, which I think were very good, uh, followed by the Joel Schumacher, Schumacher movies, which I think everybody agrees not nearly as good. And then you get to 2005, which is Batman Begins. What was that experience like for you? That was, what was, that was 2004? 2005. 2005, yeah. So I, so obviously I was, you know, still living in Raleigh. I, I think I was one year in with the company I'm still with. And I went to the theater. I didn't know what to expect, but we had, we had the internet to see a lot of the hype. And I remember everybody, the first few pictures of that Batmobile, everybody online hated it. They were like, this guy's going to ruin Batman. But you were excited to see what he did with it because people people loved Christian Bale and, and you weren't really sure what the storyline was. I just remember all the Batmobile hate. Yeah, it, it's a weird thing now to think that. I, if you remember, this, and we'll get to the Dark Knight online hate in a second, but a lot of times, I think the internet's a great place, right? A lot of us do podcasts like this, get our opinions out there, the whole thing. But a lot of times, the, the kind of the zeitgeist on it ends up being wrong, right? Because if you try to tell somebody now that 15 years ago, everybody hated the Tumblr version of the Batmobile, and there's a lot of people that didn't like the way Heath Ledger's Joker looked, and those two things have become so iconic, where like, the masses were kind of wrong. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, they were, they were dead wrong. I was going to, when we talk about the Dark Knight, I remember the, like, I remember the first one was the Batmobile. The second one where they introduced the bat cycle, people loved that and they hated they hated the Heath Ledger look because you hadn't heard his voice. You hadn't heard his laugh. You haven't seen his, his mannerisms. But yeah, Heath Ledger got all the early online and then, hate. You know, you know what's weird too? I never thought of this till right now, but both of those movies got a lot of early online hate. And by that, by the time The Dark Knight ran its course, these movies have built up such a good reputation I don't remember a lot of people hating on the early images and stuff of the Dark Knight Rises, right? I mean, all Bane looks awesome, and it's got uh, Catwoman, and it's going to be great. And then to me, anyway, and we'll get to this, that's the one that the internet was kind of wrong about because it had the most positive kind of feelings going into it. And in my opinion, it's probably the worst of the three movies. Yeah, that one, I know we'll, we'll talk about it more later. I, I was a huge fan. I went back to the same IMAX for that one. Like the same, I wanted the same, I was trying to recreate 
how we felt, you know, and uh, the early online picture for the Dark Knight Rises, remember, was the Bruce Wayne headstone. Yep, yep. So you're walking in there like, we know Nolan's not going to do a fourth one. We know this is going to close it up. And we're like, is he going to kill Batman? Like, is he going to destroy the last, you know, whatever it was, six years of my life and kill this guy now that we all love him? Yeah, I, I, real quick on Batman Begins, and we'll talk about the movie itself in a second, but it, I feel like of all the Batman things, including video games, TV shows, everything we know and love about Batman, I feel like Batman Begins came out with a, the least amount of hype. Like, I remember uh, seeing a, an Entertainment Weekly magazine on a newsstand, and they had a picture of the new Batman, and I was like, I didn't even know Batman was coming out again. It was out, like, the next week. And I'm starting to, I try to think about why, but... The thing about it, Bat, the last two Batman movies in the 90s, uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths. And then Batman kind of went away for a couple of years, right? Like, there was no Batman movie between 97 and 2005. And then the superhero movies that had come out in between were, were not that great. There was the, uh, the original uh, Ang Lee, Incredible Hulk, Ben Affleck, Daredevil. There was the X-Men movie and the Spider-Man movie which people liked but weren't like super critically acclaimed the way that the Batman movies would eventually be. It's like a weird time to be a geek, for lack of a better term. There weren't a lot of these big blockbuster movies yet. Pre-MCU, pre-Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. There's kind of like a thing like, oh, they're doing Batman again. or trying to get an afterthought and up being really good. Also, I'm going to throw this out there on this podcast. I think the next one of these me and you should do is Ben Affleck's Daredevil. It's another movie we had a great time going to see. And another, in my opinion, a criminally underrated, unfairly hated on superhero movie. But we'll leave that for another day. So what are your thoughts on Batman Begins as a movie? That, uh, obviously I loved it. I was excited because I didn't know at the time there was, there was going to be three. I don't think anybody knew it was going to be the Nolan verse or whatever it was. Um, I just, I just went because I wanted to see Batman, you know, like the cost, what he was going to do with it. I was curious about the Batmobile and then the ending you know, let you know there was going to be another one. And I, like back in the, I don't know if you remember this, but the, uh, like the Donner Superman or whatever, at the end of the Supermans, they would say, look, look forward to Superman two or Superman three. Like the end of the movie would always let you know, Hey, we're making another one. But like when he sees the Joker card at the end, um, that, that got me really excited. I thought the villain, the Ra's al Ghul being the the real villain, which was kind of like a surprise. I, I thought that was awesome. Uh, like I liked Scarecrow in it. I loved Katie Holmes in it. Um, it I thought I thought it was really well done. I really like Batman Begins. And I think part of it was I didn't expect a whole lot because I didn't look forward to it for years like I did some of the other ones. And secondarily, it was a different take on it, right? It was that I watched it again fairly recently. It's almost like a Rocky movie. It's like 80% training and 20% actually doing the thing you think you pay to see, right? It's way more running up and down mountains and fighting guys in Thailand and doing push-ups and flipping tires than it is actually fighting bad guys. And it was a very interesting take on Batman that, I, that to my knowledge, nobody ever did before. It's, it's set before when you were, you were mentioning, like, we didn't really have a big superhero, like the Daredevil experience was good. We had... Uh, Spider-Man, right? We had the Tobey Maguire first one. Actually, the first and second one. Weren't they 2002 and 2004? I think the first and second one were out at that point. Yeah, so we, so it kind of, that one set me up to to be somewhat excited um, for this one, but I agree with you. Yeah, the whole movie's training, but like the second Spider-Man, it kind of set the precedent for like, okay, the first movie is is the superhero making mistakes, learning how to be the superhero, understanding the responsibility of what he's trying to undertake. And then it's got you prepared for the second one where he's almost like in that Jedi form. Like he's really good at what he does. He understands like his powers or how to use his utility stuff or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the, the first one was, they did a tremendous job of, of getting down deep into, into why Bruce Wayne feels like he needs to become Batman. And then later on in the movies, we understand, like, the symbol could be anybody. Like, it's just, you know, you don't know Bruce Wayne as Batman. You just know 
there's a guy that comes out at night and if you're doing something wrong, he's probably going to intervene. Yeah, agreed. I think that movie hammered home that point really well um, and did it in a way that we hadn't seen before. And again, I, I, I could still watch that movie now, 15 years later, and, and enjoy every every scene of it, honestly. So Batman Begins comes out. Batman's, again, thrust into pop culture conscious. We're all talking about it. We love Christian Bale. We like the Scarecrow. We're into the Nolanverse. Uh, three years go by. Three full years pass, um, and 2008 comes. The Marvel Universe had just got started with Daredevil that May, and then in July, The Dark Knight comes out. Let's talk about uh, our experiences with, with that movie and then the movie itself. What do you remember from summer 2008? Summer? So I was curious, did, didn't it come out in July, but we didn't see it until August? Or did it come no. out August, September? No, no, I think we saw it. I'm almost positive we saw it on opening day because I remember I, here real quick where you were in life at that point I was I was I'd been done at NC State for a while I was working up in New Jersey and you were still in Raleigh North Carolina where you, where you live now and you make your home and then I was coming down there to visit right and I remember talking to you early that summer being like you got to get tickets early this is going to sell out if you don't have tickets I'm going to be so mad and then you got IMAX tickets for I believe the Saturday morning after it debuted on Friday night did that sound about right to you yeah, that's correct. Cause it was like, we, we had to get it. You would come in on that Friday and we went, first of all, yeah, the tickets, because I remember the, the pressure you were putting on me and I was like, nah, man, IMAX is huge. And then like the ticket weren't, we were on like the second row, which I was trying to avoid. Like we were pretty close up because it was some of the last tickets and we had to go in the morning. Yeah. It was like, it was like a 9am Saturday movie and it was packed. It was, it was like lines that you're going on a Disneyland ride, which I don't, I, for whatever reason, I don't really go to the movie on opening day anymore, but I haven't seen a, a line like that to get in a movie since then. And maybe IMAX made it different. But uh, there's one thing about that weekend I always remember. I want to see if you remember this or not. I flew into town, and I was going to meet you and a bunch of our friends who were out of downtown Raleigh the Friday night before the movie. And I, for whatever reason, people were working. Nobody could meet up right away. So I took a cab from the airport. To downtown Raleigh and we're just walking around and some guy comes out of nowhere he's like hey man do you like country music and I'm like ah, a little bit not super into it and he goes do you like Hootie and a Blowfish I'm like kind of and he goes Darius Rucker is releasing a country album he's in this little club trying out the songs in front of a live crowd for the first time do you want to come in and check it out and I'm like absolutely and then I walked into this little you know, like a jazz club basically maybe 50 seats tops and there's Darius Rucker on stage with an acoustic guitar playing his what would eventually be a smash country album in front of like 40 people for free just to see if the crowd liked it. And I was literally, clo I was closer to him than Batman is to Lucius Fox when he's showing a new Batmobile and Batman Begins. And that's how I started off this weekend by seeing a, a very intimate show with one of, like, let's be real, one of the biggest stars in the world. Completely randomly just walked, was invited in because I, I looked like a guy that might enjoy that walking down the street. Was I was I was with you at the hootie thing because I was confused. Yeah, you, yeah well, no, because I think this is the era of like flip phones and having to press the the number one three times to get a C when you're texting somebody, and you're like, "Hey man, we're ready to meet you at the the bar, or the restaurant." We're doing, like, "Hey dude, you're not gonna believe where I am right now." And then you you came in, and I guess for whatever they let me bring somebody else in because it wasn't even sold out. It wasn't no one knew what was happening. They let you come in, and then we just kind of hung out and watched that, which is. It's really a weird thing to think about to just get invited into something like that, just completely randomly off the street. They gave us the CDs when we left. Like yeah. they gave us, and I remember they had so many. I think they gave me two because I was like, "Hey, can I have another one?" And I gave it to my boss. And uh, yeah, I remember that. Like he put it, he did the country songs, and we were like, "Yeah, he sounds good." But the crowd, you know, really just wanted to hear old Hootie songs. So I remember, like, after they kind of finished it. He just ran through the hootie stuff and then people started getting riled up and then he left and then it kind of turned into that that night scene that it was that was famous famous for but when he when he laughed you remember he somewhat kind of walked through, through the crowd yeah it was it was the weird it was the weirdest thing um to see somebody who had used you, you know we grew up watching on mtv being in, in an environment like that trying stuff that was totally new at the time and then knowing that it all it all worked out incredibly well for him, and those songs were all you know now smashes, was kind of a kind of a really cool thing to be a little part of. 
the the uh that that night was so fun for me i don't know if you knew this but later on down the road after he's already an established country star me and my wife flew to nashville to see him at the grand Ole opry and that was the specific reason we did that like he i'm such a big fan of that guy but i mean that night just kicked it off and like how personally was how small the venue was how cool he was but yeah i'm still a darius rucker fan to this day that was that was an amazing kickoff to that weekend yeah, no, no, no question man and then the other thing that that set that weekend off lovely for me is earlier that week i had i for some reason gone down a rabbit hole of like expensive cocktails and wikipedia what a harvey wallbanger was and i decided i wanted wallbanger. to i wanted to drink you know, a harvey wallbanger and I definitely had my first one that night, that Friday, and had several more throughout the weekend. Uh, I, I was ordering because I thought it sounded funny. It's not the best drink. It's not. It's not uh, a super good cocktail, but it is a funny thing to order. And then, weirdly enough, the Harvey Wallbanger drink dovetailed right into the Harvey Dent character in the Dark Knight uh, that we saw the next night. Every every time you ordered one of those that weekend the bartender would reach under the bar and pull out that book because we didn't have iPhones and stuff, flip to H, not find it, flip to W where it was Wallbanger, comma, Harvey, <laughs> and then proceed to insert the ingredients into your beverage. Yeah, I, I always say, if you're ever in an environment where you want to order a drink that makes you seem classy and upscale, uh, Google Google it and pick something out, and whether you like it or not, drink it and enjoy it as if you do like it to make everybody think you're really cool and, and better than them with a Harvey Wallbanger in your hand. Uh, so that being said, man, we're at, we're at the IMAX. What else happened that weekend? The So I don't remember. After the, after the movie, um, which I know we'll talk about in a minute, I remember we were so blown away. I, I just started driving from downtown. And I, you know, every day from work, there was two places I would usually be, downtown Raleigh on a project, and then at my house. I, I know how to get, I grew up in Raleigh. I know how to get from downtown Raleigh to my house. I was, I was so disoriented after this film. I remember like we were sitting in silence driving in my truck and I looked up and I saw an exit for Chapel Hill, which is 40 minutes away. And I, I couldn't believe I got so out of uh, i was so confused i could not get back to my i could not drive none of the roads made sense all i could think about was the movie we turned yeah. around in chapel hill and then went i don't think we started talking about the movie until two hours after we couldn't dissect it no 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 completely agreed um also on that on that trip of you driving the 20 minutes you drive every day and getting lost in your own hometown you, you stopped at like a rooms to go or a furniture store of some kind. You had to go pick something off or drop. I don't, I don't know what you had to do. But I remember when you were in the store, I like lost consciousness in the passenger seat of the car because I was so enraptured with what we had just seen. And you came out and you're like, Joe, Joe, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. What happened? I just blacked out for a second. And I remember thinking like, they tell you not to leave little, little kids or dogs in cars so they can pass out when it's real hot. But it was a cool 70 degrees. You're still like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I was a grown adult. Like, there was no reason you shouldn't have left me in the car by myself when you ran in this furniture store. But still, it, it just seemed was so amazing. And would you, would you, recommend, would you agree with that first scene, when the, the way they, they show that big aerial shot of the Joker doing the bank robbery with the school buses, it's so cool. It's almost like disorienting, particularly when you see it in a, an IMAX and so big. I remember thinking like from that first second when they show the buildings, like, oh, this is something different. This is a different scale than even Batman Begins. This is a different experience. Yeah, that, that theme when that music hits and they're and they're 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 kind of flying over and then they get to the guy on the street corner holding the mask. It's yeah, yeah you're overwhelmed from the start. Right. You know what's weird too is I've, I a lot of times stuff that hits you the first time you see it or hits you on a big screen. But I've watched that that DVD or that Blu-ray. I've seen that movie at least 20 times. Let's say about twice a year for the last 10 years, maybe more. And that first scene still gets me on a radio. I have a decent sized TV, but nothing crazy. Um, and it's still in my living room, still kind of gets a gets me like not choked up, but like, oh wow, this is something new here. Yeah, it takes it it takes the uh the wind out of you 
like I always think about it when I'm walking through downtown and I've got like you have to on these projects, you have to wear safety gear and stuff like that. And every time I'm about to hit a crosswalk, I always have my hard hat like and I always think like in that in that hand, this is kind of cool. This is like that opening scene where the guy's holding the mask and you're you have no idea how good it's going to get. Like you're expecting greatness right from the start just because the way it throws you into it. But it, it just keeps getting better and better and yeah. better. And I'm, I'm going to throw this out there now. We'll touch on it again with The Dark Knight Rises. But The Dark Knight Rises has a similarly shockingly awesome scene in the beginning when they're doing the blood transfusion on the planes, right? Um, but I think the crazy thing is, like you said, The Dark Knight gets better from there, right? Or at least it maintains that same level of shock and awe. And The Dark Knight Rises, that might be the highlight of the whole movie for me is that one scene. And then it doesn't necessarily get better throughout it the way The Dark Knight does. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I'm probably a bigger fan of The Dark Knight Rises than you are. It, okay. does, it, doesn't, it doesn't compare to The Dark Knight, obviously, but I would, I, when we get to The Dark Knight Rises part, like I've, I got some input on that one but sure. go back go back to the uh dark knight from the so they introduced the joker they introduced the joker first and then we see batman right it doesn't switch it doesn't switch yeah, back. no i think you're right yes okay yeah you're uh and that's when we learn about like all the he over or he's got this fan following of people dressing up like him Right, the guys in hockey pads that are pretending to be to be Batman. Yeah, that's 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 tremendous stuff. And then we learned the Batmobile can drive itself, which now everybody loves the Batmobile. Yeah, by this point, every it's a it's a weird thing that they, I feel like uh, it was almost like the the Batman Begins was like a great debut album by a band you never heard about, and now the expectations are super high. Like this is Darius Rucker's second country album, right? The first one, you're like. I don't know. Can this guy do country? Is he, is he good enough to do it without the blowfish? Then you heard the first album and you're like, oh, this is this is nice. He's, he's, he's got something here. And now the second one, you got to deal with the expectations, which is hard. And a lot of musicians can't do that. A lot of movies can't do it. But here's a hot take on that. Do you think of all the movie sequels, superhero movies have the best sequels? Because the first one to tell an origin story, and if you're even at all a comic book guy, you know the origin story, right? The second one, they can really get into the villain the city, the, 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 you know, side characters in a way that like, if you grew up reading comic books and watching the cartoons, you might a lot of times, like, to, to me, the dark Knight is definitely better than Batman begins. The Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man's the second one is by far the best one in my opinion. Right. Um, it's Captain America. The second one's better to me. I think there's a lot of those where the second one just is kind of, kind of better than the original on the superhero side of things. It's weird that it works that way in that universe because think about movies that aren't superhero movies. There's only the only one that comes to my mind that the sequel was better than the original is Godfather 2. But but usually the sequel is a letdown unless it's a superhero movie. And Superman 2 kind of started that for me, the the Christopher Reeves version, because you know, Superman 1. You know, he's a kid. He hits hits the planet or whatever. He's you know figuring out his powers in high school and all that stuff. And in Superman two, they're like, boom, he's got to fight three villains from his home planet that have the same powers as him. You're like, whoa, that's right. huge. Yeah, this is this is something new. Agreed, man. So, so that being said, let's get into Heath Ledger. What are your thoughts on his unfortunately untimely passing? Obviously, everybody knows that. What are your thoughts on him as a Joker? It was a, it was a different Joker than we'd ever seen before. To me. I, I was a big Jack Nicholson fan, still am, still love that portrayal of the Joker. But the Joker had always been kind of like a like a suave, like almost like mafioso kind of criminal. And now this is like an unhinged punk rock Joker. What were your thoughts on that? It was, obviously, I thought he was amazing. The um, I don't know if you uh, so so Nicholson actually talked to Heath Ledger when Heath Ledger uh, had been signed on to do the Joker, and Heath Ledger was a big. Uh, method actor so he he was the joker during the filming when they weren't filming he was the joker before they started filming like he he went to that hotel room and just became the joker but nicholson warned him and he told him don't do the method thing with this character it's too dark it's too deep 
it's hard to leave behind. So it was it, when I read that story, that precursor to, you know, unfortunately what happened to him, that that was just gave me the eeriest feeling because the portrayal, you really believe this guy is an anarchist. This guy doesn't have friends. This guy just wants to see the world burn. Like it, it, it was it was overwhelming. It was scary. It was tremendous performance. Yeah, yeah, no, no question. I, I think the two scenes that always stand out to me in that is when he's in the interrogation room, right? And Batman is beating him up and he kind of enjoys it and you kind of believe that he's enjoying what's going on because it's, it's torturing Batman as much as it's torturing him, which is disturbing. And then that one scene during that amazing car chase when he's hanging out the side of the police car and it goes into slow motion and the music gets kind of slowed down. And that's another moment to me where it's almost like that first scene with the buildings during a bank robbery where you're like, this is, this is different. This isn't, I've seen superhero movies. I've seen villains in superhero movies, but this is like, like powerful in a way that I've never seen before. I yeah, totally agree that that Joker character scared me to death. Like you, you had no doubt in your mind, this guy would hurt women and children. Like he just, just a different cat. And you, and you don't, the way, the way he's not really, playing aside you you don't want the ultimate destruction and there, there's parts in the movie where you're just like batman can't beat this guy because he doesn't know how to how to fight him back but that, that's the thing man if you have you know a lot of most of the time in movies and i would say most of the time in real life you have quote-unquote good guys and quote-unquote bad guys that both have their own set of motivations to do something right and if you kind of work from there and figure out people's motivations you can stop them or work with them or negotiate with them or something along those lines, right? But if somebody's motivation is I want to watch the world burn for the sake of watching it burn and I have no morals and no play-by-no rule book at all, how does a guy that has a very strict rule book and a very strict code of conduct ever ever beat that? You know what I mean? And I think that's why like, the character is so frustrating to, to that version of Batman. And he, the, uh, I totally agree. The, the other thing was he he had little quips and he was also humorous at times. Like the, the interrogation scene, you know, it, like you said, Batman's beating him up and he's kind of laughing through it. And then he makes the comment, you know, like, you know, don't start with the head. Like, you know, if you're like, kind of like a Batman's going to start asking him questions, you don't, you don't need a concussed Joker. And then, you know, that scene where he walks in on the, uh, the mob guys and they're, they're, like he had just heard them comment on the uh, purple suit or whatever and how much it costs. And he says, you ought to know you bought it. Yeah. Like, it, like humor and, you know, but, you know, making those guys want to kill him like that. That was, that was really cool. Like, how about that scene where he dresses off as a nurse? Right. And then, so like, that's kind of a funny idea, but then he blows up a hospital. Like it's, it's, it's such a bizarre, a bizarre thing. Um, and at the at the end, I want to get a little bit the newer version of the Joker, which is the the Joaquin Phoenix version that takes the the it goes a hundred percent disturbing and almost away from the funny side. Of, we'll get to that uh, towards the end of the show. What else you got on the Dark Knight? Did you like uh, Did you like the Two Face character? Did you like uh, Katie Holmes being replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal? Did you like the choices the characters forced to make, like who he was going to save and the boats and all that stuff? What were your thoughts on that stuff? The I. I'm a big Mally or Maggie Gyllenhaal fan. The because Heath and her brother were like best friends, so I think you know once Tom Cruise pretty much interfered and Katie Holmes coming back, I had I I thought Gyllenhaal stepped right in. You almost forgot that it was a different person in in the first one. Uh, I loved Harvey Dent. The um the everything about that movie was perfect, and I'm gonna tell a, a story that I actually told at your wedding to uh, one of the cousins, to Kenny. And nice. this, okay. is, this is my only problem with the movie. And I've not, I've not seen this repeated online. If I saw it online now, I'd think it was somebody that I told it to. So when he goes to Hong Kong to get Lao, which, which all of this setup is amazing. You know, he jumps off the boat. He's with the ballet dancers. You know, Alfred's there. He swims out to the little seaplane. You know, and then uh, Lucius is is in with Lau. They drop the the submarine, the sonar phone. All of this 
is is blowing your mind, right? Then there's that another amazing overhead shot, and he's uh, he's standing on the top, and he ends up flying around to Lau's office, which for some reason Lau is still in there at midnight, I guess, which I didn't didn't make any sense. But then he he goes head first, like he shoots the globs on on the windows, right? Then he flies around with apparently enough speed to go head first through this glass, which which I'm assuming is some pretty thick glass. Then once he's inside, he does the little roll, and then immediately there's dudes there just shooting him up. So he's he's running, they're shooting, you can see all the glass breaking. He's running through there. He ends up, you know, catching a few of them. Then he uses Lau as a shield. Then the the blobs explode. The fire's behind him. Let's rewrite that scene. He's flying around the building. He hits the blobs. They explode first. This would disorient all of Lau's guys. A huge explosion. There's fire. He flies through the flyer. Doesn't have to go head first through through a window, which I didn't. That was the most unbelievable thing in the whole Nolan verse for me. He doesn't get shot up. People are laid out. He just grabs Lau because he's already got the little light up balloon thingy. Then he just goes out at an open window. Are you are you with yeah. me on this? When I told yeah. Kenny at yeah. the wedding, he was so overwhelmed by my take on it. He said, "Wait right here." I waited for like ten minutes. He left. He came back with like four of his friends. He goes, tell them what you just told me. <laughs> um, I, I heard Kenny post his theory on message boards all over the internet under the screen name, not Metter in 96. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude, no, that that's that's fair. Everything you just said. And know it's weird too, and I never thought about this before. Maybe you rock and maybe you won't. I feel like in the superhero movies, you got to suspend disbelief a little bit, right? You got to believe. Iron Man's got a suit that's more powerful than any plane on the planet. You got to believe Spider-Man climbed up the side of a building with his bare hands. But I feel like the Nolan verse went so far out of the way to keep it quote unquote real. When something happens that's unrealistic, it, it's shocking, right? Like you just pointed that out. But then can you argue too, he's such a good filmmaker that he sold that to, like you said, like 99.9% .9 of the population and nobody questioned it until, until right now. Exactly, but I always think about it in the Dark Knight Rises scene when he's with uh, Dangle, as Dangle's the doctor. Right, he, which is an odd choice of casting in my opinion, but go ahead. Yeah, which, which he's explaining like there's no cartilage in your knees, there's you know concussive, there's scar tissue on your brain. I'd like to think that while he's sitting there, he's like, ah, I should have blown up that window before I decided yeah. to take first into the... <laughs> Like like an athlete who had one play that just got away from him. Like, if I could do this one thing different, my whole life would be different. Um, yeah, take that I'll, one thing away. I'm going to throw this out there real quick. There's two things I would have changed about The Dark Knight. Like I said, you said, you hit it on that. It's almost perfect. There's the scene you said, which is fair, which I had not really thought about much before. Number two, I think the Two-Face character is such a good character, and he looked so cool with the way they made his makeup and everything. I wish there was more of that either in a movie or he lived to be in the, the next movie. Um, I feel like that character deserved more than that 15, 20 minutes he's given. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that's extremely because yeah. the uh you're you're faced with the whole movie with the the good versus evil, and then you know the Joker's not really torn. Batman is is torn. Like he's dealing, you know, the death of his parents, he's he's got all these like Two-Face is the most torn character because he was the good guy that couldn't escape the evil. And, and like you saw with the two parts of his face, also he's, he's battling within himself. You know, that's why he, like, he can't make the decision. He leaves it up to the coin, supposedly. Yeah. Then we right. find out like the coin is the both, is, is you know, the same on both sides. And the other thing I would, I don't know if I would change it, but I, when I go back and watch it now as like an older person who's been exposed to the MCU and other kinds of superhero movies in the last like 12, 15 years, whatever it's been, do you find in, in all the Nolan movies, all of the characters are miserable all of the time? Um, where I like to think like, like in the Marvel movies, Iron Man is occasionally happy when he's flying around in a suit doing cool things, right? Like Bruce Wayne, when he's on the boat with the ballerinas, miserable. When he's stopping crime, 
miserable. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character is always telling Bruce Wayne, don't do this, don't do that, know your role. It's like, and I understand why if you lived in that world, it would be a very joyless place. But as a moviegoer, do you ever want to see just somebody be kind of happy that they're doing the right thing kind of thing? Or, or am I wrong on that? No, you're totally right. Everybody was miserable. Even at, even at the party where the Joker shows up, even the guests looked miserable. Yeah, like it's, they, it's a, it's a, I watched all three of those movies this year, or last year, 2020 again, and they're amazing. They're great. But I remember watching it over nine hours, like nobody smiles. And I, I don't need everything to have a great happy ending and be all happy, go lucky. I'm not that kind of guy. But I do think to some extent, if you're watching people like, like stop crime or avenge their parents' death, eventually they get some kind of satisfaction from that. I, to- I totally agree. It's, it gives you the, uh, the gloom, like everything, everything is dark. And I think, so, so the first one and the second one, we never see Batman in the suit in the daytime. So I think that also gives us the feeling of like, I don't want to say misery, but the yeah. feeling of everybody's at least. Yeah, everybody's kind of down. Like the new, you're right. They're like nobody, nobody smiles, nobody laughs. Okay, so that being said, we have a couple of very minor criticisms. We both agree it's one of the greatest movies ever made, and we have one of the best weekends ever seen it together. What do you have to wrap up the Dark Knight? The uh, that's that's in my top three of all time, like of all movies. I usually for, for context, can you give us the other two just so people know where you're coming from? Of course, yeah. One and two flip flop for me depending on the day, and it's between Jaws and Pulp Fiction. Like they're always going to be my one and two, and then The Dark Knight is third. Like I, those those three movies will never. I can't imagine a movie displacing one of those. Like the The Dark Knight left such an. It's definitely one of my. Uh, what's the game? The Desert Island thing. If you could take five yeah. movies. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. I think that's fair. I, I, think, I think it's easily, if you had to pick one superhero movie, that's the one to take. I think that it's a pretty easy decision. Um, the only ones I would ever put in front of it, and this is a big question mark for me, is Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame, because there's so many superheroes and so many characters, but it, it's, a, it's a different thing. It's almost apples and oranges to compare the two, because one is very serious, very psychological, very real life. And the other one is this grand spectacle of 30 superheroes fighting a, a mythical being kind of thing. But uh, that's it. Those are the only movies I would put in the Dark Knight hemisphere at all uh, for the superhero world as far as I'm concerned. So that being said, four years go by. Um, we're, we're, me and you are living apart from each other, different states. I get married in the four years that, in, that happened between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. You, get, you meet your wife and get married right after the Dark Knight Rises drops. Uh, what's your experience with Dark Knight Rises? We, so we, I took my, we might have been, day, the Dark Knight Rises was 2010? A 12, no, 11. It was, no, 2012. It was the summer after my wedding. So, okay, so we both get married that year because we got, we got married. So I was obviously already engaged, but we got married. You got married in the summer. Then the next time I see you was at my wedding uh, at the end of 2012, but we, yeah, we went to the IMAX again. We, it was a 10 o'clock showing because I was late getting the tickets. Um, we were in like the third row this time, but it, it was, it was another, the same experience as you and me with the, the line out front packed people. Um, like you could, they were scalping tickets similar to like what you and I saw. Like it, it was a big deal because it, people wanted to see how do you top this masterpiece that came before it. Uh, but yeah, that, that kind of sets me up for, or sets up what was going on um, when we saw it. It's, so, something kind of cool happened to me the, the month that movie came out that I'll shout out. Cause I know some of these guys I'm about to mention listen to this podcast. Uh, a couple of my friends from high school, Jeff Nelson and Brian DeLeon put on Facebook. We're going to go see it at midnight and get tickets. Who wants to go? And I just, I, I not, talked to them or seen them in a while at that point i said yeah i'll meet you guys there and then because of that this this little like group of my high school friends started going to see all the superhero movies on opening day after this 
which is kind of a cool little, little part of my life, which as you get older, you don't really get out socially as much. But every time a big Marvel or DC movie drops, we all go see it together. So super shout out to Jeff Nelson and Brian Daly. I don't feel like be a part of that. But I saw it at midnight the day it came out, right? And I remember liking it when I saw it and being exhausted the next day because it was from midnight to about three in the morning. I got home at about four in the morning because of where we went to see it. And it was like an, like an event. Like it was like, I felt like I went to a concert or something the next day. Um, it wasn't IMAX. It was a regular theater. And I really enjoyed it. And I remember as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, I bought it and I watched it again and was not nearly as wowed by it the second or third time through as I was The Dark Knight. Is that fair for you? What do you think? That I, I did the, the same thing. It was I didn't get lost going back to my house after this one, though. But it, uh, I, w- I was impressed with the way they wrapped it up. I was impressed. I, I love Tom Hardy. I thought they did a good job. I thought, and then they had the, the shocker at the end where it was kind of like reminded me of the first one where you were shocked that Raz al Ghul is the real villain in the first one. He's still the real villain in the third one. It's just being, the legacy is just being, you know, the League of Shadows is just being carried on by, by the daughter. I, that, that impressed me a lot because it, you think he's fighting Bane, but he's really he's really just fighting Ra's al Ghul again. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And I thought one thing they did that was, was kind of cool with the three movies is made the League of Shadows and Ra's al Ghul such a big part of it, right? Whereas, like, the, to me, the, if you look at the four movies that came out in the 90s, there's really no, no continuity between them villain-wise, right? The first one, there's Jack Nicholson's Joker, the second one, there's Catwoman and the Penguin, but they're completely disconnected from the villains in the third one. But these three are much more cohesive as you can watch it almost as like a nine-hour event. And it's really as much about the League of Shadows as it is about Batman. The, the, uh, correct. Because the Dark Knight, they, they could have done – that movie still would have been a masterpiece without uh, Harvey Dent. But it also could still be a masterpiece without the Joker. Like those were just kind of, I don't want to say bit characters, but they were like minor inconveniences for for Batman and the reality of, you know, there's there's people training right now where you're you're trying to figure out where the Joker's hiding. There's people training, you know, not to burn a pile of cash. They're coming to just firebomb the entire city. Right. Like you don't Joker's worst case imaginable in the dark night you're like this guy you can't stop him and then like there's no way you could ever look and say like at that point nothing's worse than this but something is going to be worse than that 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 was one thing that got me about it i was like nothing's going to be worse than the joker right there was something worse later so this way you can look at it too as a trilogy is that the first one shows you the league of shadows and rise al ghul wants to burn gotham to the ground because it's so corrupt and so overrun with crime but you're like, is it really that bad? There's organized crime. There's like, there's muggers, but they're not showing it as that bad. Then the second one, like, oh wait, there's people like the Joker running around, and and now there's okay, now this makes sense. If the Joker could flourish in a city, the city obviously has a lot wrong with it, right? And the third one, they go back and show you like, all right, now here's the to use a, a cliche, Gotham's reckoning with Bane and with the rest of the League of Shadows and uh, Talia Ghul and all that stuff. Um, so it's kind of like a cool little. It's like League of Shadows will show you why the League of Shadows has to exist and thinking is burned out to the ground, and they're going to wrap up the League of Shadows story at the end. Com- completely. Do you, did we ever talk about um, – did you ever see – so Heath Ledger, if he hadn't passed away, he was going to have a part in the third movie. Did you know that? Uh, no, but I'm assuming he would have had a part the way Scarecrow did, like when the, the prison got, got out kind of thing. Exactly. So there was, I saw on online, um, they, when, when the Dark Knight Rises was being written. So the scene where like the chaos ensues and they're releasing everybody in Blackgate, there was, there was, they were, they're just running around, opening the doors, letting the criminals run out. There was supposed to be a scene where they get to the Joker's cell and they're like, no, not that guy. You cannot let him out. And he's going to be the only one left in Blackgate. Yeah, well, like, do you think that that would have been awesome? Number one, that would have been really cool. Do you think one of the, 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 the shortcomings of the Dark Knight Rises, it, it almost sets up like there should be a fourth one or it's a spinoff into something more and then it just ends 
Like you find out that the guy's name is really Robin, but then there's never a Robin. Um, you find out like these criminals get out, but like, they don't. It's kind of like short, almost like the way they kind of shoehorned in Two Face at the end of the Dark Knight. They end the Dark Knight Rise with a lot of things. You're like, oh, I'd like to see what happens next there, and then there's really nothing next. It. I was kind of glad they ended it. I would have liked to have seen Nolan do one more to see, you know, the Robin Nightwing thing kind of explored. But I'm kind of glad they didn't because I had major questions. You know, before you figure out his name's Robin and then he gets access to the Batcave and all that stuff, like just 30 minutes before, he was unsure how to throw the little bat grenade. Right. And I'm like, this, this guy doesn't have the training to undertake this. Like, he doesn't right. understand this technology. Like, how does, like, he's right. really going to need Lucius. He's really going to need to, like, go. And now the League of Shadows isn't there to create more ninjas. Like, what is he? He's, right. He better have some really cool stuff in his suit. You like know? The, or, the, or the next movie would have been Robin Begins. or him training. And like you said, probably being really bad at some of the stuff for, for a while. Yeah, it's, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm glad they ended it. I think they went, there was that rumor that uh, with Man of Steel, um, that they, they were offering Bale some insane amount of money when you figured out the next movie was going to be Batman and Superman. And I think they, I, I don't know if that was just an online rumor or, or what, but they, they offered, the rumor was they offered Bale so much money to recreate it, but I'm glad it actually worked out for Affleck. Okay, so real, that gets me to my next question, man. First of all, real quick, thoughts on Affleck and the DCEU the way it is now? I think it's a mess. I'm, I was disappointed to hear that Affleck was leaving it behind. Um, and I, I know Kevin Smith was probably he Affleck had one of the of all the awesome suits in the Nolan verse. I really liked Affleck's suit. I thought he was a good Bruce Wayne. I thought the the training scenes with him, like, you know, pulling the tire and all that crap. I thought I thought he was a really good. But there's no it's just not. It's Marvel set such an unreachable precedent for a universe of superheroes, and DC just seems to be—it's just not cohesive. You know what it is, man? I, yeah, I agree with that. There's two things that working against the DCU, in my opinion. And it's this: number one, the entire world is either consciously or subconsciously comparing it to the MCU, right? Which it has not lived up to. You all agree on that? But number two, when we saw the Nolan verse. We were comparing that to Adam West, right? Um, these kids now that grew up with the Nolan verse—if that's your benchmark for superhero movies, what's left except to be let down? You, you know what I mean? If you start that high, like I remember when, when I saw the Avengers in a theater as a, as an adult, and I saw all six of them in one spot battling the aliens, battle for New York, thinking like that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I waited thirty years to see something like that in a theater. But I'm like, there's a six-year-old watching that right now that that's their first experience with a superhero movie. How do you live up to that? You know, if you set the bar that high for kids when they're young. Um, Let's real quick wrap up. Where does the Dark Knight trilogy fall for you as far as like movie franchises? What's it mean to you personally? What's the the, the stamp you want to put on that before we wrap up the Dark Knight trilogy? It's got to be considered the greatest trilogy of all time. And I mean, even knocking out the Godfather because of the mess that Godfather three was, but it's, I, I can't think of another trilogy that even comes close to that. Maybe, no, I, I mean, Spider-Man, you know, a, an amazing sequel, a great starter movie. And then the third one was a wreck. Like it, even though people usually say the dark Knight rises is their least favorite of the three. It's still a really good movie. Yeah, would, I, I'm going to agree with you, man. Then we'll move on from it. Would you agree if, if The Dark Knight Rise is clearly my least favorite of the trilogy, right? But then if you take that versus any other trilogy's worst movie, I think it's probably better. Like, it's definitely better than Spider-Man 3, the Tobey Maguire ones. It's definitely better than X-Men Origins Wolverine for the Wolverine trilogy. It's definitely better than Back to the Future 3. It's probably better than Return of the Jedi. I, I, it's definitely better than any of the Star Wars prequels or sequel trilogy movies. I can't think of any any other trilogy where all three are this are this good. Uh, me, me, me neither. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, and it's 
I've, I've done the nine hour day before. I think I talked to you after it and you, you were just like, God, that sounds exhausting. But I've, I've watched all three. I had a, a Saturday with just literally nothing going on. So I started in the morning and just went back to back to back. Yeah, and then you called me at 10 o'clock at night. You were driving your car out of your mind to Fuquay, Verini, and you're like, I got lost on my way to the pizza shop that's right next to my house. What happened, man? <laughs> like, well, if you're going to watch nine hours of Nolanverse, it might happen. You should know that by now. Um, yeah, man, and, and I'm, really, I'm really glad as a, as a personal thing, me and you got to bond over these movies and see one of them together and talk about the other two at length. Um, really, it's, a, it's a cool thing. The superhero movies, you could say they're corny or being childish, but I think they, they really kind of solidified some friendships in my life and let me debate some stuff online and in person and kind of become better friends with a bunch of people, yourself included, which I always appreciate. So that being said, we're going to wrap it up with this. If you say you're a Batman fan, that can mean a bunch of things, right? That might be you read the comic books, you watch the cartoons, you love the movie, whatever it is. There's been so many iterations of Batman. I want to go through both of our top fives. I'll do mine first and you can do yours. And then we're going to get one. We're going to go five positives and one negative of versions of Batman. All right. So my number five is the Adam West Batman 66. That was my introduction to the character. And if you guys know me at all, I'm a big fan of when things get so bad, they get good again. Like if somebody sits down and eats six hot dogs, I'm like, that guy's a slob. But if somebody sits down and eats like 80 hot dogs, like at the Coney Island Hot Dog Exchange, I think it's awesome again. And that and that that TV show is so corny and so over-the-top campy, it becomes great again in my eyes. So Batman 66 is number five. Um, number four is the Arkham games. Uh, they're on PS3 and PS4. They're the best superhero video games I've ever played. If there's any better out there, let me know in the comments because I'm not aware of them. But they're so... There's so many villains, so many storylines, there's so many cool moves and fighting this tactic and stuff like that. Those Arkham games are amazing to me. Uh, number th number three is the Harley Quinn series that's on HBO Max right now. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but there's two seasons. It's almost like a family guy happened in Gotham City. So it's it's constant joke, 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 referencing all the, the well-known and obscure characters in the DC universe. And just a heads up out there, it's super adults. Don't watch it with your kids. They drop tons of F-bombs. There's tons of, of innuendos and over-the-top jokes that your kids don't need to see. But for an adult comedy cartoon, it's as good as Family Guy, South Park, The Simpsons, any of the classics. Number two, Batman the Animated Series. Came out right after Batman Returns in 1992. It takes the character and does it perfect and takes all of his villains and Gotham City in a great art style. There's a hundred or something episodes. I've seen them all. They're all great. And number one for me, because we're taking the Dark Knight trilogy out of it, is still and always going to be the Tim Burton, Batman 89, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson. I still love that movie today. I know it's not a perfect movie. I know better super movies have come out. But as far as my favorite and a movie that changed the way I think about the movies and comic books and superheroes, that, that's just it for me. That's ground zero. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time and just, you know, for not, not to sound corny, but kind of changed my life and made me a superhero guy and a Batman guy for life. Uh, Metter, give me your top five that you love. So I'll, I'll start at number five since you did. So number five for me, uh, which you kind of mentioned earlier in the show, was the Superpowers cartoon because we saw the Hall of Justice. You know, like you mentioned, it doesn't stand up. You're absolutely correct. It does not stand up. But the one thing amazing about that is it gave us the figures. Like, do you remember the uh, the first Batman toys were actually the Adam West version where the figures were a little taller and they came with a little cloth suit and the, the symbol on his chest was a sticker, which ultimately would get lost. The boots were the plastic and then he had the cape, which would also ultimately get lost. But the, the figures that spawned from that Superpowers cartoon were amazing because they were the same size as your G.I. Joes. Like, so now now you had, you could create your own universe. You, like, you could interject, like, the little, uh, the vehicles and all that stuff. So that, that's number five for me. I felt like it should be higher, but um, just how campy and corny it was, it's not going to be higher than five. Uh, number four for me is the Adam West Batman. Um that we've talked enough about that one. Number three, and I don't know if you ever watched this, was uh, the Gotham series, where it explores, you know, Batman's like 10 years old. Uh, 
that that Gotham series is extremely good. It's extremely uh, credible. It's going to hold up for years. Number two for me is the Arkham games. Uh, that was that was an amazing. I believe there was only three of them, but they were all amazing. Um, number one is the Tim Burton stuff. It's I mean that was that movie going experience. There there was nothing like it. Yeah, agreed, man. We, we hit that on the head. Now, obviously, our, our, uh, our thoughts are pretty similar on those. So, glad to see that. Don't have to fight about this on the air. Um, my my negatives, okay? I want to explain them real quick. My ne- number one, and I'm going to preface this by, I've never seen these three things. But Gotham, Gotham PD, which is coming out soon, apparently, and Pennyworth, the series about Alfred the Butler back in the day. It's almost like how much backstory do we need i think i may have enough of these characters and i don't need any more it's like i like cobra kai but when i was a kid watching the karate kid and you said do you want to watch 30 or 40 hours of backstory on these characters i'd be like ah i don't know but the one that i don't like as much as everybody else i think is the the joaquin phoenix joker movie that came out a year or two ago and let me say this i understand it's a psychological thriller I understand the cinematography and why it's a, a great film for a lot of reasons and it won a lot of awards. But when I go to a superhero movie, I'm going to be thinking, I can't wait to watch this again. I want to see that action scene again. I want to look out for more Easter eggs. And I watch that movie thinking to myself, I never need to see this again. For just the kind of person I am and the level of disturbing that was, I'm good to have seen it once and move on from it. And that's why that's probably the bottom Batman thing, if you will, for me, where the all the other Batman stuff I could watch a million times. Matter, what do you got for a bad one? Uh, the it's definitely not Joker, but I totally agree. I haven't been able been able to watch it again. Uh, it's not that I, I love the way it was done, but that might be one of the ones that it, it it makes an impact on you, and you never need to return to it. Um, I'm I'm gonna say the uh, the Gotham PD. I I agree. That's probably the low point for me. I don't want the backstory stuff. Like I'd love to watch WandaVision, but I'm scared of. I really don't need. Endgame was overwhelming enough. With now you've got 50 superheroes fighting 300 bad guys. I don't. I don't need endless hours of it. I doubt I'll watch the uh, the Falcon. What's that show? The Falcon well, uh, the Falcon and, and War Machine. And Winter Soldier. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Right, Winter Soldier and Falcon. If it if it gets down to it, I might get into it. But yeah, the Cobra Kai might be the only thing where you're interested in the backstory. I don't need all the backstory stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Those are the low points for me. Will I end up watching Pennyworth? No. Will I end up watching Gotham PD? Probably. But yeah, those, I, those are all. And I'll be honest, man. If I had more time in my personal life, I would get into Gotham. I really would. But I'm at a point right now with a, with a family and a job and this podcast and some other stuff. I just don't have that kind of time. If um if I was if I was uh, if I was in college or something, I would definitely watch that and get into it. Like, oh man, there's the penguin when he's seven. That's awesome. I just couldn't. I didn't have time to get into that, and I missed that wave, unfortunately. So that being said, man, go ahead. I'll, real quick, I'm going to warn you: if you ever find the time to watch Gotham, it's everybody is miserable. Okay. It's, it's miserable, the same. Kind of it's miserable the same little kids. Theme. Yeah, they're, they're, now they're all just miserable kids. Like a, you, know, you got a cat woman. She learns when she's nine. You know, like if you're gonna eat, you got to steal. And then she grows up, and she's like, um, if you want to make money, you you got to steal. But it's yeah, they're all miserable. Yeah, it, it, dude, it's a, it's a weird thing too to take these characters so seriously when you're like at the end of the day, it's a woman dressed up as a cat. Like, maybe we could have a little fun with this. You know what I mean? Um, exactly. And it, it's weird, too. They, the, the, the Adam West series had probably too much fun with it. And then some of the stuff now, like the Joker movie, has not enough fun with it. Um, just try somewhere in the middle and a, and a good quarter to get strike. But that being said, we're really splitting here. The majority of the Batman stuff that have come out in the last 30 years since Batman 89 has been pretty good. Um, I think they do the fans a, a service every time they put something out. Um, even the DCEU stuff is not great, but like if you would see if you agree with me on this and we'll wrap it up. If someone, if in 1995 you would have seen Batman versus Superman, that would have been the greatest experience of your life. The thing is that the game has just changed so much and the expectations changed so much. And by any other standards other than 2020 superhero movies, 
most of the quote unquote bad DC stuff is still pretty good. Is that fair? To- totally agree. They're, uh, I'll watch every single, even though DC is not competitive with Marvel, uh, I'll watch anything that DC puts out in the theater. It's something to look so, forward to. So, so that being said, I really appreciate your time and I really had a good time on this podcast. What do you got to leave to me and my cousins listeners with? I love being on, man. I love the podcast. I listen to it every, um, I'm probably one of the first listeners on anything that you drop. And, and then I also follow you to the other podcast, whether it's Foul Housemates or, or Richard Dweck. But uh, shout out to Kenny and Mike. Um, maybe maybe I'm down with the uh, Daredevil idea if you do that in season three or, or whatever. That's going to be a good time. I'd love to be on with Kenny and Mike. I'm a big fan of those two guys, so shout out to them. But that's all I got. I appreciate it. Great, man. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks to Batman and DC Comics for putting out close to a century of good material for us to listen to and talk about and debate. And super big extra thanks to one of my best friends, Metter Martin, coming through and uh, dropping some knowledge on Batman and particularly the Nolanverse. Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Stand up and laugh. Build a comedy scene, produce your own shows, and create community by Angelo Gingerelli is available now on microcosmpublishing.com. If you're trying to make your way in a world of stand-up comedy, you can build your career while enlivening your local comedy community and mutually supporting your fellow humorists, and you can even have fun while doing it. Angelo Gingerelli shares his hard-won advice for anyone who wants to create a comedy scene from scratch in a smaller community, carve out their unique niche in a larger city full of professional funny people, or anywhere in between. Lots of good tips here for anyone organizing community events from how to book venues, get publicity, and avoid drama. Also includes great arguments for starting or joining a comedy scene rather than thinking of yourself as a lone wolf and solid wisdom for being an asset to an existing stand-up community. Stand Up and Laugh by Angelo Gingerelli is available now on microcosmpublishing.com.